0: Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up, make sure you're subscribed because I'm splitting $10,000 across 10 lucky subscribe beautiful bastards this month. And let's just jump into it. Yeah, you know, the first thing that we're gonna talk about today is fantastic fucking news for about 20 million Americans and pretty great news for 23 million more. Though, maybe I should pull back on the word fantastic because if you look on social media right now, yes, you have people that are happy but also people are fucking furious. With some on one side saying, fuck you, this is nowhere near enough. Whereas on the complete polar opposite, you have people saying, fuck you, this shouldn't even be happening. And what we're talking about and what they're reacting to is the Biden administration announcing today that they are canceling up to $20,000 in student debt for Pell Grant recipients and up to $10,000 for non-Pell Grant recipients. And in both of those instances, you're eligible for the relief if your individual income is under $125,000 per year. And in addition to that, they're extending the pause on loan repayments by four months. But also, once those repayments do resume, many people are gonna benefit from the fact that Biden also capped monthly payments for undergraduate loans at 5% of a borrower's discretionary income, which is half the 10% rate the borrowers had to pay before under most plans. The White House saying that it'll lower the average annual student loan payment by more than $1,000 a year. Now, before moving forward, if you are someone that this affects, you need to know this. Reportedly, the Department of Education lacks income data for most Americans with student debt. In fact, the White House says that it expects that only around 8 million of the 43 million eligible borrowers may be eligible to get their relief automatically, because their income is available to the department. But for everyone else, the administration says that it's setting up a simple application process for borrowers to claim relief. saying that it'll be ready no later than the end of the year, when the freeze on loan repayments expires. You know, one of the most interesting parts of this story is, how are people receiving this news and so this morning I asked on Twitter for those of you affected by this what are your thoughts and so let's go through some of it together absolutely beyond relief it's not enough and there should be a tiered system not income cap shouldn't be punished for succeeding in our career since college especially those with significant debt who went into competitive and or high-yielding fields. cried this will take out most of my student debt it's not even remotely a dent in my debt for my two degrees it's irritating my wife and I have worked our asses off skipped vacations never upgraded our one car 2008 with 250,000 miles and lived way below our means for years to pay off our loans our friends traveled new cars paying the minimum and now we're getting those loans reduced also in addition to those i've seen people online saying they feel like they're being penalized because they chose not to go to college and instead took on debt from you know trying to start their own small business stuff like that but of course all of that is just a small snapshot and so i want to pass the question off to y'all watching here where i have my biggest audience what are your thoughts and feelings about this news today then you know the, the famous greek philosopher aristotle once said girls just want to have fun but that's stupid everyone wants to have fun including felons 你的筋? So those are actually prisoners. And yes, they're racing around the courtyard of France's second largest prison, which is a facility housing an estimated 2,000 men and 100 women. It's just south of Paris, which, as a side note, kind of blew me away because in America, Rikers is the second largest prison in the United States, and that has almost 14,000 inmates. Just a fun little fact about the the country with the world's highest incarceration rate. But back to France, you had 25 minutes of video coming to light last week showing guards and inmates competing against one another and even throwing water balloons at passing go-karts. With other activities, including tug-of-war and obstacle course, All this stuff we saw reportedly was meant to be a day of fun parodying a French reality TV show similar to Survivor, with it being organized by a local man who has reportedly done similar games for years, like a sports competition between police and youngsters back in June. But you know, with this, over the past several days as the video has caught traction, we've seen France's right-leaning political parties slamming the prison administration as well as the government for allowing this to take place, with center-right opposition lawmaker Eric Ciotti saying, "...our prisons are not holiday camps where prisoners and guards make bonds of friendship." And the outrage intensified after it was reported that two of the inmates playing tug-of-war had been convicted of murder and rape but then with that the organizer says that it was made clear that anyone convicted of a violent offense could not take part and a prison official saying none of them were convicted of murder or rape and so in response to the prison's governor at first defending the event but then later saying that it was a mistake with most of the anger then being directed at france's justice minister eric dupont moretti because reports claimed that the approval was granted from the highest levels of his ministry which he actually denied saying the fight against reoffending involves rehabilitating but certainly doesn't involve go-karting had i known there'd be a go-karting contest i would have imposed a very clear ban and so he orders an investigation. And yesterday, that produced a nine-page report saying that the ministry did give permission, but that it didn't have specific details about go-karting. With the minister adding that new conditions would be circulated to prisons on the type of rehabilitation projects that could be allowed. Which overall feels like the very involved and random backstory to why, if you went to a prison, there was a sign that says, no go-karting. Which someone would then read and be like, what the fu- what happened? Why is a go-kart ban necessary here because of this? But, you know, with all of this, it does raise important questions about how we should treat our incarcerated population. Because, you know, a lot of people have seen pictures of those luxurious prisons in countries like Norway, Sweden, Switzerland, where rehabilitation is the focus instead of retribution and advocates argue that recidivism rates are then low. But of course, on the other side of this, you have people saying prison is meant to be a punishment. Don't reward them or pamper them. And personally, I understand why there's a debate and I get the concern because look, like that looks better than my regular day. You're telling me that if I commit a crime, my punishment is a roof over my head, a bed, three meals a day, and go-karts with the boys? I don't know, that sounds pretty fucking dope. And then I want to talk about this political controversy out of finland because oh wouldn't it be nice if this could be our fucking like political controversies And you know, when it comes to politicians and parties politicians can get in trouble justin trudeau i hear he's a fan of costume parties boris johnson Parties that are worth losing your job over, apparently. But now, in the spotlight, you have Finnish Prime Minister Santa Marin, with her apologizing this morning after a topless photo was being circulated on social media. Though, notably, it was not a photo of her. Instead, it was a Finnish social media influencer and a friend kissing and flashing the camera, though uh, covering it up with a Finland sign. With all of this reportedly taking place at the Prime Minister's residence, where there was a party last month where Marin had invited guests over after a music festival. We've also seen her trying to distance herself from the photo, saying, I think the picture is not appropriate. I apologize for it. Such a picture should not have been taken. Also saying that despite what the photo may make it seem like, the event was actually not that eventful. Saying that it was more of a kickback where they went to the beach, hung out in the sun, and where otherwise nothing extraordinary happened. And this is actually the second time she's apologized in the last week for partying. Or before this, she had made headlines when videos came out of her drinking and dancing at a private party, with allegations that there were illicit drugs being used, followed by another night of her dancing at a nightclub. The Marin has denied taking any drugs at any point in her life and passed a drug test. But still, regarding drinks, her opponents claim that her drinking could impair her judgment, which she countered by saying that she kept her drinking to a minimum at such parties. Her opponents also claiming that her choice of friends left much to be desired and that such videos could expose her to blackmail. But notably at the same time she actually has a lot of supporters with all of this happening the actual impact of these controversies has been very minimal right across social media we've seen tons of Finnish women posting videos of them dancing and drinking to show support and in her government key allies have mentioned that this is really nothing to write home about or they were confused and tired of people asking questions about the photos and videos this is likely not going to be the last of it with Moran also openly admitting that other photos and videos likely exist and saying I feel like footage is being shot of me all the time everywhere and it doesn't feel good even normal things are made to look bad and yeah my reaction to this is Really? this is your controversy? Our last guy inspired a mob to attack the Capitol. And before that guy, we had another president that had an employee blow him at work. <laughs> And then he used the political muscle around him to villainize her. Whereas from what I'm seeing from these accounts with this Prime Minister, this is just someone blowing off steam with other consenting adults. This is nothing, and if you live there, you should count yourself lucky that this is a controversy. And then, you know, uncertainty in the markets might have you wondering where to invest. And you may want to consider private market assets like startups, which can be a great way to diversify your portfolio. You know, historically, only wealthy investors with few exceptions have had access to these types of investments, but thanks to today's sponsor Republic, that changes. Republic's a global private investing platform making it possible for everyone to invest in private assets from startups, real estate, music, crypto projects, art, and more. Their team of investment professionals curate private investment opportunities with high growth potential. From pitch decks, SEC documents, to social media press and company updates, seeing deal information all in one place makes it easier than ever to do your due diligence. And you can invest as little as $100 on the Republic app or desktop and use their autopilot feature to find deals that match your investment preferences. Just click that link below to sign up and use my referral code below to get up to $100 when you make an investment. And if you're new to investing, you can start low and invest $200 in the company that you believe in and get $10 off with code PHIL10. And actually, if you want to invest more, let's say $2,000 or more, you can get $100 off using code PHIL100. Then, Sony is currently facing a nearly $6 billion lawsuit in the UK right now. And that for allegedly ripping off its consumers and violating the country's competition laws. So the lawsuit was filed at the Competition Appeal Tribunal and is led by consumer rights advocate Alex Neal, who notably has a 14-year history with these kinds of suits. And the suit claims that Sony used the PlayStation Store's position is the only digital marketplace for the platform to abuse developers and publishers by charging excessive fees, including a 30% commission. And that, in turn, allegedly led to customers being unwittingly overcharged for digital purchases on the platform. With a lawsuit estimating that customers overpaid a total of 5 billion pounds over the past six years. And it's estimated that individuals in the claim, which is just about any UK-based PlayStation owner, could get between roughly the equivalent of 80 to 660 US dollars, depending on how much stuff they bought in the store. Now, notably, this type of anti-competition class action lawsuit is actually fairly new in the UK, with it only beginning to allow them in 2015. And in fact, with this case, there are still a lot of steps for any consumer to see the money. But the first big hurdles that the competition appeal tribunal needs to certify this is eligible to proceed to trial, but there then being the matter of, well, actually winning the trial itself, which, according to some, may be a long shot. But the crux of the claim is that Sony is abusing developers and customers with its fees, but commission isn't unique to Sony. It's an industry standard across the board and seen on the Apple Store, Android, Play, Steam, and Nintendo shops. So you have some saying it's unclear why Sony in particular is being singled out here. We've also seen massive creators in the gaming like Moist Critical pointing out some other big issues in the case. They kind of hint that it's Sony's fault that the consumers didn't know they were being overcharged, like Sony was doing underhanded business tactics, when I just don't know if I believe that, because Sony doesn't really do anything besides just have a platform with a game and the price next to it, and you choose whether or not to buy it. But it's not like it was Sony that was doing anything to mislead them, at least not that I've ever seen. They just put the games on their service with how much they cost, and it's up to the consumer if they find it to be a reasonable price or not. But he also highlighted some things that helped Neil in her claim that Sony's TOS allows Sony to set the price of digital games and in-game content and charge a 30% commission on every purchase of digital games and in-game content from the PlayStation Store and that, quote, this results in excessive and unfair prices to consumers for their digital games and in-game content, or right, such as the fact that Sony screws UK consumers by making a $70 game cost 70 pounds, which is like a $12 difference. And that would be outside the industry standard where the practice is to adjust their prices so that they're almost the same after conversion. But also you have people saying that's not always the case. Pointing to things like Elden Ring is $60 on the US store and just 50 pounds on the UK one. But also that discrepancy might actually end up helping the case because games like Elden Ring are made by independent publishers, meaning they get to dictate their price on the PlayStation Store. Whereas you have games like God of War that are made by a Sony owned studio and thus a case of Sony directly dictating the price in a way that screws UK consumers. You also have people saying that Neil makes it seem like Sony dictates all prices, which just isn't the case. So she's like half right. But ultimately that's where we are right now. We're gonna have to wait to see what happens. But uh, of course I wanna know everyone's thoughts with this, but especially if you live outside of the U.S. and you play games, what are your thoughts about this? Because right, for me, with this specific story, I'm, I'm like an outsider looking in, trying to understand it, whereas it's something that's directly impacting you. And that's also one of the things that's cool with this show, is I'm just me, but I, I get to have you as this funnel of information. And then, we should definitely talk about yesterday's primary elections in New York and Florida. Right? Because while there are still a few more primaries left this season, these were the last of the major multi-state contests. And so we should talk about some of the key takeaways from these final big races. Right off the bat, there was one overarching factor that shaped both of these primaries, gerrymandering. Both Florida and New York are states with legislative maps that were among the most radically redrawn after the 2020 census to paper one party over the other. In New York, it was for the Democrats. In Florida, it was the Republicans. But also, it illustrated two very different possibilities of what can happen when a map is insanely gerrymandered. It's either tossed out by a court or it's allowed to stay in place. In New York, the state's highest court ordered the map to be redrawn again because the Democrats' initial draft would have flipped many House seats in their favor and undermined vulnerable Republicans. And we ended up seeing the more balanced redrawn map lumping several of the state's most high-profile lawmakers into one district, resulting in an incredibly chaotic and bitter primary that pitted members who were previously close allies against one another and ultimately ousted some long-standing prominent representatives. Meanwhile, in Florida, we saw the exact opposite with the state Supreme Court. They're refusing to block an insanely gerrymandered map. And when I say insanely gerrymandered, I mean insanely gerrymandered. The King Florida man, Ron DeSantis, vetoing a congressional map passed by his own party, seemingly because it did not include enough gerrymandering in his favor. With him then making Republicans in the state legislature approve a different map that he drew that was way more partisan and gave Republicans a much bigger advantage. And while that move, of course, shows DeSantis's power over his party, it also isn't the only place that he really demonstrated his muscle yesterday. Because while he did not have a primary challenger, the candidates that he endorsed had very strong showings. And that, including candidates that he backed in school board races that he put a massive amount of funding into in the final weeks of the primary, with at least 21 of the 30 people that he backed for school boards winning their elections yesterday. And that's incredibly significant because school board elections in Florida have been nonpartisan for the better part of the last three decades. And the good fortune for Republicans didn't just end there. In addition to winning from DeSantis's candidates, his congressional map is also expected to give the GOP new House seats. And very notably there, as the Washington Post reports, most of those will be held by Trump-supporting Republicans, including some of the most far-right congressional candidates anywhere. Which, side note, Laura Loomer almost won her fucking primary, only losing at this point by 7%, which is infinitely closer than she should ever be to holding a public office. But also, with this news day, we should talk about the Democrats, who recently have been having stronger showings, including in districts that Trump beat Biden in since Roe v. Wade has been overturned. And the boost that Rose reversed is given Democrats was also on display in a closely watched special election for a congressional seat in a New York swing district. There we saw Democrat, Pat Ryan, who campaigned on a platform of defending abortion rights, soundly defeating his Republican opponent, with many seeing Ryan's race as an important test case to see if abortion will drive out voters in the general election, especially in swing states, which will play a heavy role in the battle for the control of Congress. Though, uh, I do wanna note there that Democrats are still slated to most likely lose the House. It's just that they may not get as spanked as once believed. But of course, polls are just polls and what ends up happening from here to election day we're gonna have to wait to see. Also, notably for Democrats, we saw another interesting trend continuing with moderate Democrats beating out left-leaning challengers. Right? In addition to establishment Dems fending off progressive challengers in New York, we saw Florida Democrats picking Charlie Crist, the state's former Republican governor who switched to become a moderate Democrat to challenge DeSantis this fall. So a lot of moving parts on both sides of the aisle as we head into the general. In a lot of different ways, this incredibly consequential election can go. So keep your eyes open, pay attention to registration and mail-in voting deadlines, and of course, vote, vote, vote. But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. Thank you for watching, and being subscribed, for these daily dives in the news also if you're looking for more news i got you covered here or in the links down below but of course as always my name's philip defranco you've just been filled in i love yo faces and i'll see you tomorrow